Hello, I'm Jackie Mignot. And I'm Zach Robichaud. You're listening to A Podcast Made Flesh. Conversations about an embodied faith. We're coming to you from Treaty 7 territory, talking with all sorts of people about the incarnation. We're not reporters or experts, but we are questioners, and we are on a quest to have a conversation about the central Christian belief that God became flesh. The less conflict you have, typically, especially in communities of, of diversity, typically means one or more groups are being oppressed. They, they don't have a voice at the table, right? But the table is only so big, and those who are at the floor start coming to the table. It gets squishy for the ones who are there already, <laughs> and the portions of food are getting smaller, <laughs> so they're getting a little ripple. And then as the, the more people enter the table, they're like, oh, wait, why are they getting all that food and we're not? We're at the table. And Actually, conflict is a sign of healthy integration, that things are getting better. (laughs) Hey, Podcast Made Flesh listeners. This is a great episode for us today. We are in conversation with Jeremiah Beshurich, who is a pastor at the Mosaic House church in Edmonton. He also works at the Mustard Seed in Edmonton. Um, And we wanted to talk to him about community and what it means to live in uncomfortable community, in communities where um, there may be conflict because we are embodied creatures learning how to be embodied with each other. Uh, This conversation has so much goodness in it, um, so much looking to who God is and um, the person of Jesus in helping us to live our fully embodied selves. Yeah. Yeah, Jeremiah gets into all kinds of wonderful things. Uh, we talk about worship and mm-hmm. people on the periphery and inclusion and just just being authentic. I really enjoyed his perspective on discomfort yeah. and having uncomfortable conversations. Um, and that seems to be a theme in some of our podcasts this season. Yeah. And so I really hope you enjoy... Uh, this brilliant uh, pastor. Jeremiah Bashirich. Um I uh, currently am a uh, pastor at a multicultural church plant called Mosaic House Church. And then I recently became a chaplain at uh, a place called The Mustard Seed, a community chaplain. Um, I'm married. Uh, and uh, that's how I got into the Christian Reformed Church was through my wife, who's half Dutch, half Frisian. So she, uh, yeah. <laughs> and uh, I grew up in a small, small town, literally the middle of nowhere. Um, yeah, it's. I grew up in an acreage. Uh, it literally, yeah. My 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 phone number was one town county. My address was another town. And then my, the school district was another town. So we were kind of intersecting this no man's land type thing. Yeah. So I grew up on acreage. Uh, my father's from former Yugoslavia. He's uh, he's Croatian. So he, he's, he grew up butchering. So we grew up butchering, um, making our own sausages, kind of living off the land. Um, and a little, yeah, it was a fun, fun time. Mm-hmm. And then um, my, my mom's from the Philippines. Um, so we had a lot of, I love Filipino food, Filipino cooking. <laughs> uh, but because we were kind of in a small town, we kind of the out, were the outcasts. 
Mm. Everybody kind of looked at us kind of a little funny. <laughs> Our best friends were the Hutterites. They were like the only people that really liked us, I guess. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and, you know, it was okay. Uh, kind of, uh, I'll probably get into that a little more later, but that's how I really got into working with kind of other outcasts, I guess, other people who are marginalized. Um, I, I grew up with kind of this judgment against those in poverty, um, even though I was kind of an outcast. And um, when I first came to the mustard seed, I came through it for from school when I went to university. I remember this this lady who I, we're still really good friends. She has a disability. She was the first person I met. And she just embraced me with this, just love, just started talking to me like she knew me for, you know, for ages. And I just felt so, wow, so accepted. Mm -hmm. And I never really felt that true acceptance other than church. We had a really good church growing up and, and with her, and that really gave me this kind of, wow, God is here or or, Mm -hmm. this is where I belong. So I kind of stuck around after that. And, uh, and I love, yeah, making people feel like they belong. Um, but also learning from the people who make me feel like I belong as well. Mm. Um, and then uh, also through that uh, uh, kind of long story, but I, I thought this kind of that feeling of belonging meant I should enter into voluntary poverty, like become poor, mm. enter into, I, I grew up poor, we were poor, but kind of more incarnational in the sense, like become homeless. Mm-hmm. I, I tried to enter into that life, but God kept pushing me, it's like, no, and I wouldn't listen. So I get burned out more. <laughs> uh, but eventually yeah, by getting married, that's, that's very much more of a middle-class thing. And then becoming a pastor, um, God has kept telling me that you uh, more called to be maybe a bridge between different communities, mm-hmm. um, between, yeah, ethnic groups. That's why our church is very multicultural as well as socioeconomic groups. Um, so the plan right now, God willing is to kind of plant a church that celebrates socioeconomic diversity in a, in a way which, um, yeah, honors all peoples and specifically lifts up and celebrates um, those who are marginalized, aren't really a part of the normal church culture type thing. Because wow. that, even just what you said, taps into some of the other questions we've had and other episodes like of what does that mean to be an incarnational presence with others especially with others who do not have what we just have or what we were born with or what we accumulated and that's a whole other question Um, maybe we can get to that for sure but I one of the questions um, we had talked about and that that we Zach and I want to always like come back to is what does it mean to if we are following an incarnated, embodied, um, resurrected Christ, what does the community of those followers look like and feel like? And um, how is it constituted? How do we behave to each other? Um, and so your work at Mosaic House, you, it, I mean, you've said it's, it's multi-ethnic. Is that the right way? Is that how you guys term it? Uh, Multicultural is a usual term, yeah. Um, if someone was to ask you, like, what would, what is the church, what should the church look like? Or what could the church look like? How would you answer that? Yeah, that's a big question. Um, um, a few things that come to mind, especially our church. Um, uh, one thing we hold dear is that vision of Revelation 7 of all nations 
bowing down before Christ, all nations in their own language, in their own tongue. And, and um, that's what we've tried to strive for is um, we celebrate culture and, and worship Christ from that place of culture. And that's from the top to the bottom, like our right now, even our, our lead pastor is Korean American. Um, our elders, we have someone from the Ivory Coast who's married to a Korean Actually, their son is one of the good friends of Alfonso Davies, but we won't get into that. Uh, <laughs> if you know who that is. <laughs> is that a sports person? Yeah, I don't worry about it then. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, don't worry about it. He's the, probably the best soccer player to come from Canada. He's from Edmonton, playing for Bayern Munich. Anyway, uh, yeah, soccer is a big part of our community, actually. <laughs> anyway, uh, um, and then we have uh, we have another person, the elder. He's a... Uh, uh, he was a refugee from Honduras, um, and we have people from uh, all around the world, from from the Caribbean, West Indies, from, and they are yeah, uh, as best we can, um, part of the church, not just a, a side part, but the very life of the church is depend on them, and we try our best to to celebrate that community um, as best we can through celebration of language, through food, through all that stuff and and i think celebration is a, is a good word um because i think yeah i love the idea of the messianic feast of christ and his table fellowship where we eat together as a symbol of inclusion acceptance and uh yeah i guess a picture of of god's kingdom i should say what galatians and colossians say in christ there's neither male or female slave or free we are all one in christ and with that, and I think we'll talk about this a little later, but with that true inclusion comes conflict. Um, someone said that, you know, the less conflict you have, typically, especially in communities of, of diversity, typically means one or more groups are being oppressed. They, they don't have a voice at the table, right? Um, I, I love there's a, there's a book called, actually I pulled it up just in case I bring it up, but Fighting at the Table Conflict as Successful Integration. It's actually from a, a German Syrian sociologist. Ooh, that sounds interesting. Yeah, Aladdin El Mafalani. Um, and he, he, he argues this is more in terms of nations. He's coming from a German context, but um, all of us as nations coming to this table. Yeah. And typically there's people who have a position at the table and they're kind of in charge. And as voices are raised up, there's an assumption, oh, yeah, we'll, we'll get together, more inclusion, more voices, it'll be easier it gets. But the table is only so big. And those who are at the floor start coming to the table. It gets squishy for the ones who are there already. <laughs> and the portions of food are getting smaller. <laughs> so they're getting a little resentful. And then as the, the more people enter the table, they're like, oh, wait, why are they getting all that food? And we're not. We're at the table. And actually conflict is a sign of healthy integration that things are getting better. <laughs> Zach, I- yeah. I, yeah. I just, I love that idea. I, I mean, I, I love conflict. <laughs> like I force conflict. Like if I have passive students mm. and you know, if they're not doing anything, like I'm going to push until like, like, let's go, like, let's talk. Like, mm. why are you not engaging? Why are you not asking questions? Why are you hiding? Like, because otherwise, 
okay, well, nothing's going to change. I can't get to know you. You can't express yourself. Like we're, we're basically at an impasse. So I love that idea of conflict. It's super. Well, I had a question though about language. So how do you not superficially celebrate language in a community where you probably like, if you have 50 different languages present, can you unpack that a little bit? Yeah. And that's the hard part there. Like there is kind of surface level integration and then there's deeper level integration. And honestly, I don't think in some parts we have gone deeper level, but a lot of parts we haven't. Um, language is one where I think we struggle with it. So sometimes we have people singing their own language during the worship service, uh, a verse or two. And there, there's certain, especially familiar songs, there's kind of power to that. Like, oh, I know the words. Let's hear it there. Mm-hmm. Um, another one, we are prayer ministers usually. And uh, some people, we just tell them, pray in your own language. And when someone, my friend prays in Spanish over me, I, yeah. you know, I don't know what he's saying, but I, I feel the spirit. And there's yeah. something beautiful about that. Mm-hmm. Um, and one thing we do, which I love, is our, our we have a, a, usually a Tenebrae service for Good Friday. And um, we uh, read the story of Christ in as many languages as we can. Um, and that's yeah, very, it's very, very powerful. We, we hear it in English too. Then we, we just enter into that story, a familiar story with a, with a, with a, yeah, with the language of our, of our community. And it's really powerful from, yeah, from Africa to Asia and in between. So it's been a, a beautiful way to do it. Yeah. So I think, it, I think we could do better. Like I've struggled, like I've, one of our pastors, she's uh, she's Korean. She doesn't feel comfortable preaching in English. Mm. So I've, I've said, you know, we should, we should, ha- we should have a translator, like have her preach in Korean and we can, we can do it. Unfortunately, there's pushback from the, from the lead pastor and she, that's his, that's his, they're married too. So it's, you know, <laughs> yeah, it's not like, Oh, pushing down, but like, he's like the vernacular of especially Edmonton um, is, is solely English. Even French is, is, yeah. not very prominent unfortunately um and and so to uh, it just would be a stretch for our cultural mm-hmm. context right now mm-hmm. um yeah i wish we could do it more but yeah one one small one other favorite thing is for food is uh usually for new year's we have communion with different uh cultural carbs <laughs> from some from injera bread uh, to uh, yeah. uh sushi um, that's one of my favorite things as well. Yeah. I've noticed even like we've done communion at home for the last, I don't know how long has it been? Um, you know, it's like, well, we're a beer family. And so we don't often, like we had, we actually had to go and buy a box of wine, you know, and we're like, it'll keep now you don't have to finish the bottle in a couple of days. And I like wine too, but so we have a box of wine now, but for quite a few weeks, I would just pour like a dark beer. <laughs> <laughs> Which, you know kids would get their thimble of dark beer and um but yeah i i mean it's all to kind of retain kind of maintain this kind of european cultural or even mediterranean cultural expression of the elements mm. or even the words that are used you know i mean we use the word hallelujah or hosanna like these aren't a part of our language they're they're from another language. So, you know, can we say that, you know, if I'd say, yeah, instead of Hosanna, like, yeah, that's way more 
appropriate right. yeah. in my context. So I, I really like that. Hmm. Ah. I, I, what I'm hearing is a stronger community exists when there are multicultural or multi-socioeconomic um, groups present. What then is the hang-up of a, what, what prevents a homogenous group from experiencing true community then in your eyes hmm. Hmm. yeah that's yeah i'm not sure like stronger community i, I i'd like to define that a multicultural community yeah. maybe it's more true community um a stronger in in some ways it's stronger in some ways it's very fragile too right hmm. um and i think that's maybe that's the beauty of community is the fragility alongside the strength um, and I think maybe homogenous communities. Um, yeah, I, one thing I've, there's a book by Brett McCracken um, called Uncomfortable. And he says one of, the, one of the reasons we have homogeneity is actually uh, idolatry of comfort. Mm-hmm. Um, we're, we're, we're just comfortable with those who are like us. And I think, you know, social media doesn't help, which kind of reinforces our beliefs, our likes, our interests, stuff like that, right? Mm-hmm. And I think we, we lose our true community in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. One is um, true embrace and love of neighbor. We, we lose how to do that because um, it's it really we're loving ourselves if we love people like us, it's that's easier in some ways, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it's and, and I think we, when we when we are unable to love our neighbor, unable to give space to others who are different than us, and I, I honestly believe we miss out on certain aspects of the gospel that we are blind to. I think you know I really believe like the body of Christ, and uh, me as a, a foot can only really see God and and refer to the rest of the body as a foot. Um, other people they see another part of the gospel <laughs> they see another part of who god is um one example i'll i'll mention is um i i still have to think about this but north american theology i think is characterized by a certain optimism um mm. we can overcome uh and that's good we we can we can create this christian nation we can create a revival bring the lord yeah and then it, and that's so, so there's good things about that but that's only one side of um and filipino theology has been described as a theology of struggle mm. the emphasis is not getting bigger bigger churches but like uh, life is hard <laughs> <laughs> and, and uh, on in this wilderness journey god is there as a as a almost as a stranger giving us hospi- hospitality uh, as pit stops and and both I think are good and true perspectives, but if you only stay in your one side, you'll really miss out on who God is, and you and you actually you I think you lose that curiosity and that um, the mystery or the knowledge of the mystery of God that um, you can only find in in a, a, a diverse community. Um, does that make yeah. sense? Yeah, absolutely. I, I love that uh, description. It made me actually think like when you, you were describing a homogenous community that that is probably actually quite a bit tighter and probably more exclusionary. Um, it's more difficult to include 
be, because it becomes more tight and I, I like what you said with psychology, that's, that's rough because you're, you're unable to really see others, let alone love them. Um, yeah. So yeah, the multicultural, the fragility of it as well. That's, that's a good picture of the body of Christ really like this, this broken and yet the beauty and strength within that is, yeah. Wow. All right. All right. I'm glad. I'm glad. I'm glad to be uh, having this chat with you, Jeremiah. <laughs> That's good. You guys. <laughs> this is good. Um, I like talking about the comfort of, or the idolatry of comfort. Like that is because our, I like when I'm just looking at church culture um, and I come from like a multitude of places in my own church journey and faith journey. And I just see this and I'm a part of it too. Like it's hard to stay in places that are not good for you. So you leave, like maybe there's necessary leavings, but then you try to find those places that are comfortable. Is it comfortable? So I wonder what, what is the difference between building a comfortable community that becomes an idolatry and building a safe community that you can, um, cause I, I also hear a lot of stories um, about people needing to leave communities because it's not safe. So I, is there a, um, a nuance there that we could talk about a little bit? Like what is a safe community for many people versus um, just a comfortable community for people like you? What is that? And what, mm. how would you create that? Yeah, that's a great question. <laughs> after, after probably I just want, wonder with you right now. Um, yeah, I think every community has a sense of, this is Miroslav Wolf, but uh, belonging and distance. Mm-hmm. There's a sense, and this is, he talks about his own culture, right? Every culture we should have a, and it could be ethnic culture, but also a, a community's culture. There should be a healthy belonging to it. And mm-hmm. that where that sa- safety comes. There's a sense of identity, mm-hmm. a sense of comfort in, in a good way. And comfort is a good thing. You know, every idol comes from good things Mm -hmm. but also there should be this healthy distance that we have a distance from our community from a way of doing things that we're okay when there's oh we don't do things here like we're okay with oh yeah sure we don't do it here but let's try it um an openness to Mm. the other and that yeah that's hard to no i I don't i don't necessarily think that every community every church ought to be multicultural or ought to be diverse per se, but um, there should be a maybe a connection with other them as a group. It doesn't have to be diverse, but they should have a relationship to other diverse groups mm. in a way which is healthy. Um, well, that's what I'm thinking for my if if I if I plant a church by God's grace, not me, but you know Holy Spirit moving in in this time, <laughs> uh, plant a church with some socioeconomic diversity mm-hmm. i'm not necessarily saying you know we're the best church this is what every church should be like but like i mentioned earlier this is a witness to a certain aspect of the gospel mm-hmm. we want to point to it and come see and hopefully we can also build relationships with other churches so that um, they can see the gospel in a way that maybe it's new to them and also we can see their perspective of the gospel we can be reminded of like we're really thinking of like is financial responsibility or financial stewardship right um, um when i look at the acts 
a lot of them are just let's just go let's, who cares about money let's just boom and that's where i'm kind of at like let's just we don't need any money in the bank trust god every day right and that's a beautiful part of the gospel right but it's not the only part and especially in you know, dutch churches they they know how to handle money right are they uh <laughs> and we go, oh wait well, i oh, i can learn from you too oh that's how you do that money thing oh that's a certain part of the gospel that stewardship part mm-hmm. and i'm really beginning to diversity as a whole like yeah. having that belonging this is who i am but also the distance oh i can see where you come from i might agree all of it sure but okay i can see where god is moving in that and yeah. uh yeah. And having that com- communion somehow and one thing i was thinking maybe by god's grace like if if our church is more established we can maybe send a team from our church to do worship or something at different churches right. just so they can see the gospel in a different context and hopefully um, they will also see the gospel from our context. Yeah, that's beautiful. Um, even giving that space to not every community um, can do all the things all at the at the yeah. same time. So can we help feed and teach and learn each other in a um, or organic way, and so that they grow? Because for our community, it's not. It is pretty homogenous. Mm. And, uh, and so to build in even multicultural aspects, there's, there's some differences there's, and there's a huge, um, political split. So that's a difference in itself, but, um, you, right. It wouldn't be in, it would be what's the word disingenuous to just say words that aren't of my culture for the sake of trying to do that. But how could we learn and gradually and, and have that grace to like, I don't know. I, I have the image of like just breathing, like, oh, get a little bit bigger and just and work in that um, natural, not tokenizing, but naturally um, challenging and actual growth edge way. I'm, you've got me thinking. Um, in some of those ways, I, I kind of want to talk about. Um, you wrote something about why I worship whiteness. And I think in this year of this whole year and how, how grieving it's been in all these ways um, and how some we're talking about race and sometimes, but it's not a new conversation. It's just a, it was just given more air this year than I think it had been in a while. Um, and these are things we have to talk about. Like what does, what does, um, yeah, white supremacy mean? What does whiteness as a thing that we ascribe to mean? Um, and you wrote this piece about where you asked yourself, like, or why I worship whiteness and kind of tracked your own journey. And I was wondering if you could maybe speak to that a little bit and just shed some insight of what your own thinking and um, how God is talking to you so we can hear how God is talking to us too. Um, would that be okay? Yeah, I'll do my best. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's something I'm still struggling with it too, right? It's a, it's a hard thing to define. Yeah, I find. Um, I, I've been really influenced by Willie Jennings right now. If you know him, um, yeah, and he sees it as it's not just a perspective. It's not just a culture whiteness. It's not just a not even just a way of being. Um, but he argues it's become this thing, this, uh, it, what he calls this diseased imagination. 
um, whiteness as a culture. There's so much going here, but whiteness as a way of being was he calls parasitically joined to Christianity as a way of being mm. and the power imagine the power of Christianity kind of um, I guess whiteness piggybacked that mm. and now it has spread over all, all the earth and and I would and for me it, it, it's it's almost like it became an idol and in just like in God we live and move and have our being in North America in whiteness, we live and move and have our being. And it's, it's such a, it's a deeper, it's, it's, it's the air we breathe. It's the water we drink. It's the eyes we see. It's everything. And that helps me understand my own experience better. Cause I, I grew up my, my dad, he's, he's Croatian. Um, but I guess he wasn't really considered when he came to Canada, he wasn't really considered white. Mm-hmm. Um, whiteness was a construction like Italians, even Polish, Ukrainians, they were considered non-white immigrants coming to Canada. So whiteness isn't an ethnic thing really, but it's this way of being. But and then eventually if you're you look Caucasian, it's easier to kind of conform into it, right? But my dad, he has a strong accent. He likes to butcher goats on a tree. And a lot of his now his neighbors, Canadian neighbors, they really hate that like he has to he has to hide in the bushes now or else people call the cops on him um so he's not really a canadian or or if you want to say a white person in a lot of ways right is it illegal to butcher a goat hanging from a tree it's complicated there's bylaws enforced yeah so it's uh wow it's um that, yeah, they, that is that is a flex of the white uh yeah. <laughs> if we're using that language right now like that is a flex because i mean they butcher animals around the world in so many different ways and safely yeah <laughs> wow okay yeah i grew up with goats my father butchered goats i remember okay. fainting once because i'm like oh i can handle it so wow that's uh wow okay yeah keep going sorry i had to I had to ask there. Yeah, I was quickly mentioned like if if the cop is Canadian white, yeah, they will give my dad trouble. Um, but if he is non-Canadian, other cultures, there's a lot more empathy. Like, yeah, we know this is how other there's people nothing. do it here. This yeah. the imagination is so limited. Yeah. Like, how, why in the world would you do this? Like, this makes no sense to me at all. This is yeah. not a proper way of being. Right. But besides power, I mean, when I hear you t- you talking about what whiteness kind of has become, and even it becoming an idol, like the dominant word for me is, well, the white have the power. I mean, they they can tell you not to butcher a goat from a tree, and they are also in charge. Like they get to make the laws. They have the majority. This is a democracy, and there's still a majority. So they, it's it's this. Like, is it power that's being worshipped? Like this, like, I want that too? Mm. Or is there is there a different part of whiteness that is idolized? Yeah, that's a great question. I have to think about that more. Um, my first thoughts are power is a part of it. Mm-hmm. I, I think it's, it's a, maybe a certain type of power. Power to dictate what reality is. Mm and also to dictate where reality should be. Yeah, for Jennings, progress is a huge mm. thing. 
So the idea of where, what, what could be. Yeah. 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 Wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Progress is a huge thing for Jennings that it, he, whiteness is a deformed view of maturity progress. This is how we as humans should head towards. Mm. And, and, and with that comes power and it's not just power for, for static, let's just, but it's a power which we can define what humanity is. So that's, that's making me think of like Afrofuturism. That's really kind of like they're like, it's so hard for me as a white guy to engage it. I think it's, it's so exciting and so fascinating. Um, but I have a hard time identifying with any of it. Um, but the, I think the power for a black person to engage that is like, oh, well, there can be a different vision for the future. And I'm also a part of it. And, you know, watching, you know, Afrofuturistic movies or, you know, music videos is like, ah, I don't, I don't understand it, but it's so fun. And like, I, I could never create that. And so to me, that's, that's exciting. And I think like what you're describing justifies it and not justifies, it explains the power that it has. Um, what, what about that for the church? So what, what have you seen as non-white um, visions for the church that, like, have you seen an example of that that's like beautiful? We've all heard it. We've already heard a little bit of what you were describing, but is there? Yeah. I, it's, that's hard for me because the imagination is so strong mm. that underlying even our church i'd say underlying is still strongly a white imagination um and it's hard to get beyond that um it's hard for because my mom's from the philippines and they were colonized so many years right and yeah even for her it's it's it, there's a lot of subversion to the white imagination of course which is great um but even for her uh, integrate and she grew up in like we had a lot of witchcraft in our family a lot of different spirituality too so she grew up in that cult that arena too so it's it's for her is anything spiritual in filipino is you know away from god including catholicism too right (laughs) yeah right right. it's a weird and and because of that the white imagination is very strong um and and i'm not saying that's necessarily there's, there's a lot of redeemable parts about it too right but to create a alternative to that, um, I think my imagination is very limited. Um, and I, I, I'm trying to increase that imagination. The, the biggest thing that has helped me is um, indigenous culture, to be honest. Um, living in, I lived in a First Nation community for a while, and I was invited to be part of uh, spiritual practices there. And, um, hmm. and, and, and yeah, in, in their great colonization <laughs> they're able to subvert practices too and and give a, a almost a radically different view of the land of, of spirituality of, of human humanity what what those images are imagined mm-hmm. um and yeah the hope for our church plan is to yeah kind of celebrate that side too because of the canadian context and, and many of those unfortunately people living in poverty and homelessness are indigenous um, and at the same time, we'll know we never can escape it, right? Because we are here and we need to communicate the gospel within white imagination. Um, mm. one, one example I found hopeful is there was a pastor in Edmonton 
he developed a, uh, he's Anglican. He developed a spiritual service called the Standing Stones, which uh, really celebrates indigenous culture um, within a Christian tradition. I think Christian Christianity is subversive to, uh, to the white imagination too, even though it is a, uh, a part of it. Uh, yeah. 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 Part of it. Yeah, too. Well, that... Yeah. It's been, the gospel is neutered by a powerful uh, empire. Like that's not the gospel. So yeah. Yeah. You're no. speaking my language. Yeah. 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 So th- there are examples. Um, I think the Catholic Church is ahead of the Protestant in that way too, uh, mm-hmm. and maybe you know, they're, maybe they're. Someone argued they they went a little too far, but I, I haven't investigated <laughs> enough. I can't tell, but I think it'd be good to dialogue with them who have mm-hmm. done it in the past. So, uh, yeah, it's it's it, it's so strong. It's hard to subvert it. We we had a conversation with Shannon Perez, who's an indigenous. Uh, I don't know if you're. Yeah, he, you're probably running the same circles, um, and the same similar thing. Um, I kept pressing her. I'm like, well, can you describe a little bit of indigenous spirituality? And she's like, it was lost. Like we're trying to find it. We're trying to reclaim it. Um, so that loss of imagination. Like if if you talk about a body that loses blood flow, a body part that loses blood yeah. flow, like it mm-hmm. dies, it shrivel, you know, it shrivels up, and maybe we need to pray uh, for a miraculous healing where you know Jesus touches that withered arm again and mm-hmm. life can yeah. come through that. Yeah. Like that's that's a that's a tough tough mm-hmm. loss. Yeah. And I. I think like that, these questions are, I mean, they're what even, even really homogenous churches are feeling because there's this, um, there is an under, like there is a swelling up of like, not all as well. Mm -hmm. And are uh, some of these assumptions are not serving the body and then and not serving us, but maybe we don't see that if we still benefit from certain um, imaginations. Um, but I just like, I, I, I mourn this gospel that is so good, like that God loves us and becomes one of us and gives life. And then even after death, life still comes like it's this crazy good story that just has gotten truncated into something that's just not serving all of these, all of us, all, I get so upset and I don't even know how to speak to it. And I, I, but what goodness could there be, um, in, in having our imaginations changed in that way. And maybe it is a matter of just, um, praying for that, but then doing these, like the conflict, maybe, maybe then that's part of it. Like, doing those hard conversations like you did you wrote in that other article I I sent out like like conflict oh gosh I underlined it Jesus uses conflict to bring light to deeper things like could how do we enter into these spaces where conflict then brings to light what a better imagination might be and how do we do that with humility but also with like a strength because right now I'm like we're getting pushback on even just seeing that there might be a, a need to imagine the kingdom a bit bigger like that we're getting pushback on. So how do we have these conversations well 
that are conflicting and hard. So I don't, my, my question is like, how do you then foster that kind of imagination? Yeah, that's I, when I, first thing from a reform, reform perspective, cause you know, we're, I'm reformed anyway. I, like I'm really big. I'm becoming more and more content to know that mm-hmm. only the spirit can open our eyes yeah. to certain things at certain times. And it's the spirit who convicts us. And I think that's even like we, we would not have thought of even, you know, slavery, gender issues, being things of justice until recently i think that's part of the spirit's work giving us eyes to see things anew so i think that gives me hope that the spirit is moving in a certain time in a certain way and uh if he gave us all the imagination all at once all the truth we would just die like right it's just too much for us to handle right even now it's so much like it could barely handle it right so god's the spirit giving us just enough okay i'll give you open up your horizons just this much don't worry it'll be okay i'm with you um and that's not to downplay the the injustice of that that imagination unveils but knowing that god is a god of justice and he is holding and his kingdom is here in the midst of it um and then and then out of that comes within our limited imagination creativity um, uh, creative resistance creative response using the limited view to creatively look beyond um, and creatively deal with our context right now. And that, like, this is, it comes from uh, probably Bart and Yoder confessing and witnessing to the gospel within your context. And that, like for me, Philemon is probably my most helpful, uh, the book. Cause if you, if you know the story of Philemon, like it's really a messy situation because you know, most a lot of people think, oh, he just said, you know, free the slave, free Onesimus. But if you look like in the context, like slavery was the thing which ruled the economic system, and as well as everything was going right. And if he's like, okay, I can, I'll free this slave, uh, then uh, maybe other other slaves would be like, oh, I'll be a Christian too. I'm a Christian, and then they'd get freed. And then his life was at stake, all this stuff. There's a lot of complex things. He can't just like, oh, I'll just free the slaves. But within that cultural context, Paul is urging Philemon to do what is good, do what is just, do what is loving. He doesn't outright say to free him, but treat him as a brother. And, um, and, you know, in a similar way, um, the Lord is urging us to proclaim the kingdom. And, and, and there's a, there's an ideal picture of the kingdom to come. We're not there yet. We're not even close, but to treat others like a brother and sister. And for Philemon, that could mean give him his freedom, mm-hmm. or it could mean it might be still a slave, but it, it live as if those restraints or those conditions don't matter. Live in this new imagination where you are my brother. And that is a greater reality than the slavery you face and so so we come to your question of the reality is that the imagination of people maybe are is is in this frame it can't get above Mm. so in this imagination okay we're not gonna we're not gonna push you all the way to the top but let's by the holy spirit where where are we now what what where are we called to look where we called to reimagine things we can't do everything and how can we 
be creative, um, be led by the spirit to push the bounds, imagine things. And even if the status quo changes, hopefully the relationships within ourselves, within others change um, to witness to the reality there, you know, in Christ, there's no slave or free. Is that helpful at all? Yeah. Yeah. I really like that. I, I think there's a part of it too, where we can see that white church, the disease part of that. And it's not like that whiteness has nothing to bring to the table, but um, the, but the disease part. People of course bring stuff to the table, but the yeah. concept is like, a yeah. Well, the part that's killing the other parts of the body yeah. and atrophying it and killing the imagination, like that is atrophying in and of itself. Like I can see it in my students. They're just not interested. They can see that church is boring. Church is not life-giving. Um, so they're they're like, why would I look there for life? Interesting. And it's it's well, I, there's something else. <laughs> like the, the, you know. So hmm. I think there there is a like if the spirit isn't present, like that part will also die too. So yeah. parts don't only die from other parts chopping them off. They die if the spirit is driven out as well. Yeah. So yeah. I, I I like that idea of humility and patience and waiting and readiness because yeah we can't force it um we can wait i should yeah i should also mention like that comes i can say that because i do come from a place of privilege in some degree right like a lot of my friends who are struggling right now it's hard for them to be patient Uh, not not all like some are greater patience than me in in the suffering and they teach me but to say that is kind of uh I'm able to deal with it right right now. Like I can, I I am, I'm cushioned in a lot of ways. So I can Mm. see that. And I'm not sure. And I don't, yeah, that's only one small perspective um, I can give. And then Mm -hmm. other senses, there's a, you know, there's a tension of urgency and confidence, right? And Mm -hmm. I'm more maybe on the side of confidence, but I, but many of my friends on the street, they teach me that urgency to, to remind, remember that urgency. So I just want to mention that. Yeah. Too. No, I, I really do appreciate that. Yeah. 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 That, and I feel like the older I get, maybe everything is held in this tension, like the urgency and the patience and the humility and the kind of the holy audacity, like mm, yeah, <laughs> able to good way. say those things um, and name those things. But that is, I like the idea of the creativity um, because then it brings in our whole humanity, right? Like how do we creatively, because that like, then my mind immediately goes to like, what stories and how can we tell those stories and what, how creatively can we, because those reach into people's souls differently, you know, a, a, a drama or a, a song, mm. right? Like yeah. there's so many um, ways to shape imagination using the tools of imagination even right like mm-hmm. story and metaphor so i feel like there's a lot of potential there and i'm i mean my prayers like i that i run into people who can do that because i don't know if i i'm not that creative but other creative things i don't know mm. well and the languages that those stories are told in mm-hmm. as we were talking about language earlier like whole sermons are built on just unpacking one Hebrew word or one Greek word. You know, it's like, wow, there are more than two languages, more than two languages that God speaks. (laughs) So like hearing, you know, a Cree story in Cree 
uh, I don't know how I can understand that without learning Cree myself. Like mm -hmm. it's, there, there is no, but just appreciating and loving that yeah. and uplifting it, um, you know, creating that platform with, with others and just celebrating those stories and understanding that, oh, you, you see it differently. Great. Like how, how can I see it that way too? Mm. Um, yeah. Uh, can we talk about poverty for a little bit? Because you, you do work at the mustard seed mm. and you've talked about church, the possibility of church being multi um, multi-fold with different socioeconomic um, individuals. Yeah. What, what's come, what have you learned about poverty and your interaction with it? Yeah, I've, uh, through working with those living in poverty, I, I really believe that I've been given eyes to see God's kingdom more mm. in, in a way that the church can't teach me. <laughs> and that's my hope for like the church plan is to again just give eyes to see like my favorite story um in, in the bible is probably the story of bartimaeus the blind man um yeah um mark chapter 10 and and, and there's i'll try not to be too long but um within mark 10 31 it says you know many are first in the world many are first will be last and the last will be first mm -hmm. and many who are you know, first in this world will be last in the kingdom. And many were last in this world will be first in the kingdom, right? And, um, you know, James calls the poor those rich in faith. Mm -hmm. And um, Bartimaeus is, is contrasted in Mark 10 with the rich young ruler. Um, right. And it seems to me that the church can really identify with the rich, wrong, rich young ruler, right? And, mm -hmm. and not always bad, but there's there's a moral goodness mm -hmm. about the wrong ruler there's a yeah. Yeah. yeah a religious status about him and mm -hmm. and a wealth a socioeconomic status and the church I, like i said earlier the white church western church is optimism is a huge part of that mm. material abundance is mm -hmm. still a big part of that and 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 a closeness with the state closeness with the system mm -hmm. the world system and they, that does give a certain perspective of the gospel which I think is good. But Bartimaeus is totally different, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, right. Instead of a nice, quiet church boy, he's yelling at the streets, top of his lungs. <laughs> mm -hmm. He's the poorest of the poor. He's disconnected from God, can't go to the temple because of a disability, right? And um, and my own interpretation of that, uh, of that those verses, and uh, is that Bartimaeus is first, even though he's last in the world, he's first in the kingdom. And, one clear indication of that is when the rich young ruler couldn't give away his money, he went away downcast. But in the story of Bartimaeus, when Jesus calls him, he throws away his cloak, the only thing he had. And that's where they think that's where he kept his money. First thing, Jesus asked, like, here's Jesus. In an instant, he just gives up everything and, and comes to Jesus and leaves in joy. And um, where I think the Western church, because of our closeness with the system, with the world system, we've eclipsed that part of the gospel to yeah. a detrimental level. Um, and I think we're in danger, unfortunately, of, yeah, of really distorting the gospel and making disciples who have embraced a distorted gospel, which I'm, yeah. And um, 
my hope and when I uh, living on you know, hanging out with those living in poverty has really given me eyes to see um, one I'll show you one quick story if that's okay mm-hmm. um, please uh, one of my friends and I haven't seen him in a long time so I'm praying for him um, he's a tall indigenous man with uh, he has this really cool mullet <laughs> and uh, yeah small like piercing eyes and he loved we always talk theology together really brilliant guy um, I was talking about the the nature of the soul and uh and yeah we have great theological talks and one day we're hanging out and uh he was we're talking and he was holding this like paper bag with like some sandwiches in it from the salvation army and we're talking but he kept looking at it and eventually he said jeremiah i don't think i'm trusting god right now and i'm like what like you you have pretty good faith man and he looked to me and said i'm tempted to save this food for tomorrow i should trust god daily for my needs and then he, he had a little fanny pack. He pulled out his Bible, his little New Testament in a Ziploc bag, and like almost every word was underlined. <laughs> and then he pulled up Luke 12. Um, you know, don't worry about tomorrow. Don't worry about what to eat, what to wear, but um, seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be given to you as well. And I, like, I literally could, like my mind was like blown and I could like see the world shifting. Like every of those moments, like, oh, like everything is changing <laughs> and it's like oh and i think and then when god gave me a new ability to see a different part of the kingdom which was been eclipsed or hidden yeah. um and yeah that's whenever i see people living in poverty i think the western church because of their worldview they see oh the poor the downcast the trodden and when, when i see now people in part oh it's the rich in faith it's the kingdom of god is there what can i learn from them and i'm just like oh I'm, I'm there's an eagerness to learn and see what God is doing mm-hmm. in them. And again, I don't want to downplay the plight, the pain, yeah. the suffering, the lament, mm-hmm. but uh, they are truly a gift to me. Mm-hmm. I, I heard you say something about um, witnessing uh, true community among the poor as well. Like you can't lean on somebody if you don't have any need anyway. So um, that vulnerability Mm. that you can't avoid when you're poor um, can only, I mean, you, you can definitely not seek community and you can be a real thorn <laughs> for others, but yeah. I, so I really appreciate that perspective on community. Um, that's something that I've been exploring a lot is this idea of community. And yeah, if you don't need anything, like you don't participate yeah like it is just that simple like if i need a cup of flour i i need a community like mm-hmm. <laughs> otherwise to get in my car drive for 20 minutes you know buy a big bag of it and then drive home or i can knock on the door next door and say hey i got a cup you got flour you know um hmm. i mean that's that's a most basic thing but like if you need a friend like how do you approach someone and say i need a hug or I need someone to talk to like that's um that's a very vulnerable place in Calgary is it hard to connect with neighbors as a whole or how do you guys find that in in the average Calgaryan suburb yeah I I mean so Zach is intentionally lives in community with people because you could easily not there's I have like I live in a detached house front garage pull in luckily so you have to yeah it's easy to live self-sufficiently and it's the it is the value 
to be self-sufficient. Um, mm-hmm. and yeah. And so it is, it's a, it's a high cultural value in our town. It's a wealthy town. Um, and it's hard to speak into, right? Like, I don't even know how quite how to speak into it well. Um, but that is definitely the only pushback I've ever had from sermons has been any time I've mentioned wealth or, right? Like that's, it's, it's, it's hard to envision a different way of living um, where you, you are in need. Um, but yeah, so I, I don't even know, but I know Zach lives like him and his wife have chosen to live in community with people for that reason to kind of subvert that. Mm-hmm. I think, I think also like just the idea of like, you have certain friends mm-hmm. and those friends typically don't live near you. Mm-hmm. Like you, you have to like get in your car drive. Whereas there are people all around you, probably homogenous people. It's an easy <laughs> nearby that you just don't reach out to. And so it's, um, Mm-hmm. Yeah, that idea of, you know, I can be friends with this person, but it's more work or inconvenient, uncomfortable to call back to the comfort part. Mm-hmm. It is just comfortable to have that friend that, yeah, we get together once every two months for dinner or a picnic now. And mm-hmm. like it's, yeah, and, and it's just, it's not authentic community. Like it's not where. Mm-hmm. And if I want to move, like, why would I ever lean on my friends to move if I can just pay for movers, professional <laughs> movers that aren't going to accidentally drop something, right? <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it's it. I think it is harder. And uh, you know, having lived in both in Edmonton and Calgary, like Edmonton, like people's what from what I remember, maybe I'm romanticizing Edmonton. <laughs> um, people say hi on the street a little bit easier. And in Calgary, no, you don't say hi. My friend from Regina is walking down the sidewalk here and he's like, hi to everyone. And I'm like, oh man, this is awkward. But yeah, I, yeah, Calgary is a tough place. Yeah, I think Edmonton's a bit, a bit better than Calgary, but not, I, like, I, like I grew up in a small town, 30 people, right? So, you know, everybody's yeah. business, like, yeah. and, and I, in the Filipino culture, community is such a big yeah. part of life, right? We've always had people living with us in our home, like mm-hmm. people coming from the Philippines, like um, it's a big part. And and one thing I'm pa- I'm really passionate about is affordable housing. Yeah. And um, part of it is is for the sake of the people coming into affordable housing who mm-hmm. need support coming to a neighborhood, but also my hope is that the culture of the inner city, which is more like the Regina feel small yeah. town everybody's waving yeah. everybody's you know drinking outside having a good time yeah that can in a positive way challenge the suburb into true community mm-hmm. and reality is the culture is going to change right <laughs> like it's not just gonna and i hope it does hope it's not just a hidden thing we tuck in the neighborhoods so, oh we, we didn't know they were there but you know people might be coming three in the morning knocking your door for flower or just saying hi Mm -hmm. but at the same time hopefully we'll become more comfortable knocking on somebody else's door three in the morning Mm -hmm. um for that yeah sense of true community again and it's not going to be easy like i'm uh, let's say right now it living with housing first people 
is hard, especially if you're not used to uncomfortable, noisy. Like, I I, we live in condos, and and the most thing talked about is you know how noisy neighbors are, and yeah, (laughs) that's not yeah. It's like we want peace and quiet. That's what we want. No trouble. We want comfortable, right? Uh And I think, and I think that's not yeah. Like you said, Zach, it's not that's not true community, Mm -hmm. and I think they can people on they friends on the street can teach us true community as we can teach them um relationships um different kind of relationships maybe they never experienced before mm-hmm. yeah that conflict thing comes up again right so mm-hmm. without conflict there isn't community yeah yep. so for me you know we only know our upstairs neighbor because they make noise <laughs> and now we know we know her a little bit and <laughs> you know her and her boyfriend yeah so yeah actually this is funny you're mentioning noise yesterday morning at 5 45 a.m the boyfriend was throwing um like pieces of um, bark mulch right from our, our planters i'm on the ground floor and so he was taking mulch out of the planters and throwing them at the window above us but then it was landing on the balcony you know my and her bed is like right up by their balcony. And, uh, and so I'm like hearing all this racket. I'm like, what, what's going on out there? So I look and there is clearly, he doesn't have his key with him and there's a new lock system anyway. So he's trying to wake up his girlfriend to let him in. And I'm like, I'm not letting you in, buddy. I'm not getting out of bed. <laughs> so anyway, yeah, I, I I just thought of that. I was kind of convicted while you were talking about how I could have been a better neighbor. (laughs) That's good. We talk about like the pandemic kind of reveals, like crisis reveals true things. Maybe conflict reveals true things. Um, And so when the pandemic started, I made sure all my neighbors who we've lived here about four years. So I know them to see them, know their names, but I made sure they had my number and my email address. And it, opened up something that was not there before. And then there's back and forth. And then Brad, this is a random story. Brad had to go to the hospital and I couldn't drive him. So I had to call the uh, ambulance. And so it's sitting outside of our house. So then everybody's calling like, what's going on? I'm like, he's fine. He just had to go and I couldn't drive him and blah, blah, blah. But you know, so there is some, there's these moments of, of, of crisis or conflict that can help, um, it's unfortunate that maybe we have to wait till then, or we don't see it until then, but it's, it's the truth that those, there's always a, that like bit of life that can come up through those moments. Um, and hopefully it lasts and hopefully I get to know my neighbors more, but uh, when you don't need to, when you can live self-sufficiently, it's not, it's not, why is that our highest value? I'm not sure. Well, and I mean, the poor are often in crisis, like perpetual crisis, many of them. So when we experience it, it is unusual. Yeah. Like it is the rarity. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We're going to have a hard time naming this episode. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like everything. Yes. Yeah, everything almost. good okay. and hard. Yeah. And worth fighting for. <laughs> worth fighting about for yeah yeah we're everything worth fighting about for oh i like that's a good name for it (laughs) jeremiah this has been um thank you for answering because i feel like i've been ministered and like i feel like god was like 
keep going to me who is getting tired of some things, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) And uh, Mm -hmm. through you. So thank you for, thank you for that. I'm so glad you said yes. And I'm glad I connected with you. So that's a gift. Who knew this little Christian reform circle? (laughs) Yeah, you know, there's some gems in there, I guess. No, but there are some things. <laughs> and Zach, what's your what's your cultural background? If you don't want me asking. Oh yeah, no worries. Like um, yeah, thanks. Uh, my first name is totally made up. My parents uh, were arguing. Hey, conflict. There you go. Uh, my mother wanted to call me Isaac, and my father wanted to call me Zachary, and so they, it's like they put them together and lopped off the ends, and it's just Zach. Yeah, Love it. and then, uh, but but I'm Acadian. I'm from uh, New Brunswick oh, originally. Wow. So, yeah, I've never been past St. Lawrence River. So one day I really oh, really hey. hope to be there. Yeah, me too. Come on out, yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's a different world. It's yeah, I've heard. It's not wealthy, mm. and that's like I I grew up very poor. Like we were on welfare and mm-hmm. uh, the whole bit. So it was. Yeah, it, it's a different world. It's a very different world. Like you come out west and it's like, man, there's a lot of money out here. Yeah. Like everywhere. Like you just see these big trucks everywhere. I'm like, no one drives a truck like that in New Brunswick. They, like they don't even, they, I'm sure like Toyota and Ford and GM and Dodge, like they don't sell those trucks in New Brunswick. There's yeah. no market. Yeah. Like it's, it's, it's mm-hmm. pretty wild. Yeah. I'd love to go out there too. Yeah, I've only heard good things about it, to be honest. There's a real sense of community there and hospitality, which mm-hmm. com- is connected to lack of wealth, I think, which is weird. I right? agree. Yeah. I was in Newfoundland uh, a couple summers ago, and it was just amazing. Mm-hmm. And you even talk to people, and they're like, yeah, it's it's gotten worse, though, because of Hibernia. Like, we've gotten, like, more money. <laughs> and also pe- people leaving. Yeah. for money and coming back with money mm-hmm. right and you see the big houses up on the hills and stuff and mm-hmm. no one wants to go there everyone's hanging out at the little houses with the kitchen parties mm-hmm. uh by the docks you know mm-hmm. and it's like why would we want to live up there everybody wants that house but no one wants to live there yeah, yeah, right. yeah. <laughs> it's like yeah okay all right mm-hmm. yeah. yeah it's tough yeah, there, there's money is a challenge. I think that's a, a, it's a big thing. Yeah, it's a big. Apparently, Jesus said a few things about money. I don't know, Jackie. Oh, really? Wow. Well, well. I don't want to give you any ideas for sermons. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I, like it's hard to talk about and hard to. But I think, but I think that's that's okay. Like, why? I don't think we should be stopping. Like, we can't neuter the gospel because oh no, we're going to lose some fingernails. Like it's dead weight. That's how I see it. It's yeah. dead weight. And when, when the, if the spirit wants to awaken something in them, mm-hmm. you know, and if they're open to that, great. If not, like let's not just cater to and preserve this mm-hmm. like so-called community of faith. Mm-hmm. I, I don't see it as if it's not alive. Well, like, <laughs> part of not aliveness the imagination part let's reboot that i yeah and that's i think that's where the creative resistance creative response comes in too like to meet them where they're at 
and creatively try to push their bounds, um, but also affirm the good that, you know, their imagination, right, too, like, um, what does Jubilee look like in, in capitalism, right, so it's a, it's, I think there's a time to cut, and there's a time to mm, see. embrace, yeah, it's hard, it's hard though, yeah, it's really, yeah. It Our is church hard. is lucky that I'm not the pastor. <laughs> <laughs> but you're good to be part of the body, that's for sure. Because uh, you need a prophet. Our recording today has been done online from our homes. Music graciously provided by Jennifer Oikawa. Check out Escape Plan to Canada by the Jen Oikawa Trio. One thing we'd like to develop more of is a conversation with our listeners. Uh, if you'd like to join the conversation, find us on Instagram at the Podcast Made Flesh, no spaces, or on Facebook. Like our page and follow us. Get all our updates.